Hello, and welcome to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we explore questions and sometimes answers about fat phobia, diet culture, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul-Smith. I'm a journalist who covers weight stigma and diet culture. I'm the author of The Eating Instinct and The Burnt Toast Newsletter. And today I am chatting with Gregory Dodell, MD, who is an endocrinologist in New York City. Dr. Dodell is better known on Instagram as, I think what we kind of like to call him is like that one weight-inclusive doctor. He is not the only weight-inclusive doctor in the world, the only weight-inclusive MD. There are more. I will have more of them on the podcast, but he is in a very small minority and especially in the field of endocrinology. So Dr. Dodell is doing a lot of heavy lifting, challenging conversations in rooms where fat people's voices are not usually heard or centered, where weight stigma is absolutely baked into every interaction. I mean, it's just like in the wallpaper. It's absolutely there. In this interview, we talk a lot about his approach to weight inclusive healthcare. We also talk a lot about diabetes because I know this is a topic you folks have tons of questions about. I am going to write a piece for the newsletter about diabetes and weight soon, but Dr. Dodell is really on the front lines of that work. And so I wanted to bring him on to cover so many of these sort of key issues and questions that you have. I also want to quickly note that Dr. Dodell and I recorded this conversation a few months ago before I started the official Burnt Toast podcast. So the audio quality here isn't quite as good as what you're hearing me say right now, even though, of course, Tommy worked his magic on it. So just bear with us on that front. I promise the conversation is still very much worth hearing. So here is Dr. Dodell, but first, a quick break. Okay, it's January. The new year, new you resolution noise is very, very loud right now. I am deleting so many press releases out of my inbox. It's actually a little bit cathartic, to be honest. But what if we just don't do it? What if instead you resolve not to diet this year? What if you resolve to take up more space, not less? What if you resolve to dismantle diet culture and fat phobia instead of continually reinforcing these toxic concepts by starting a new diet and punishing yourself more? If you are into that, Burnt Toast is the place for you. And now is the time to join us because it is our new year no diet sale. So for the whole month of January, I'm taking 20% off subscriptions. It gets you down to $4 per month or $40 for the year. You get a ton of perks for that. You get subscriber-only bonus episodes of the podcast where I answer your questions about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. You also get full access to the Burnt Toast newsletter, all my reported essays, my full monthly Ask Virginia column, and you become a part of the Burnt Toast community. And this is where I think if you really are thinking about trying to stay diet-free this year, this could be a really helpful place to get support. You get commenting privileges. You also get our super awesome Friday discussion threads where people just really show up for each other as we're all navigating these complicated waters. So go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com slash new year, no diet to subscribe. Dr. Gregory Dodell, welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have you here. I think I get a question about diabetes about once a week. And it comes up in a lot of different ways. It comes from parents. It comes up from people worried about their own health or a parent's health, that kind of thing. But it also comes up a lot from trolls, right? It's the argument that they think you can't fight back on where whenever we're talking, you know, we're having this very nuanced conversation about the relationship between weight and health and why it's so important to separate weight from health, people kind of throw this like, but what about diabetes? It feels like this third rail. Okay, people can be healthy at any size, but maybe not about diabetes. So 
why don't we start there? Why is diabetes so inextricably linked to weight in our collective understanding of this condition? Yeah, it's tough to tease out and it's tough to answer just because of what we hear in the media and what a lot of doctors probably also say in the office. The first thing is it's really important to realize that correlation and causation are not the same things, right? So there's 40 some odd things that impact blood sugar, just like there's many, many, many things that determine body weight. So you Mm -hmm. can't just say one causes the other when you look at weight and diabetes. There's people across the size spectrum that have diabetes. I see people in my office across the BMI spectrum. Of course, BMI is not a useful indicator of health, but just to put it in context, Mm -hmm. not everyone who has a higher BMI has diabetes. And there's many people that have quote unquote a normal BMI that have diabetes. So I think that's an important thing to look at and Mm -hmm. talk about. A lot of the research doesn't control for things like weight stigma, access to healthy food, stress level, sleep, real behaviors that impact these things. So that's really what I would say. Let's focus on the behaviors. Let's really look at the research critically, like a lot of people in the field are thankfully starting to do Mm -hmm. to tease out the relationship and see. There may not be anything there and there may be something there. Even if there is, we need to treat people and focus on behaviors and things that we can do to improve health and focusing on weight in of itself as a main marker of health and as the objective just isn't working. Right, right. Because we don't have effective and safe ways for most people to lose weight. So prescribing that and zeroing in on that as the entire treatment plan is underserving people. And I'm glad you highlighted the stigma piece too, because I think that's difficult to tease out for folks. It's not like researchers are acknowledging this bias as they're doing the studies. Because this has been so baked into our culture for so long, a lot of researchers who are studying these questions are starting from the premise that there's a causal relationship without the data to support that. Right. And when you start with a research study and a protocol, you have to look at all the factors that impact it and all the different variables. I think if you come into doing a study with a preconceived notion that weight is what's going to cause this and not controlling for other variables, it's not a good study. Every research paper, or a lot of them, start out by acknowledging we're in this epidemic of people gaining weight. It's an assumed thing leading into this conclusion without really looking at all the other variables. It also means that if they are able to document weight loss in the study and they see that people's numbers got better, they'll say, well, the weight loss caused that improvement without asking what else changed for people. Did they change behaviors? And what if it's the behaviors that caused the improvement? Totally. And there was that great review paper that just came out on Gazer that was like 250 reference articles documenting very clearly that independent of weight loss, increases in activity, improve health and diabetes and cardiovascular function, all those things. So that has to be taken into account. So obviously you are somewhat unusual in your field because you are taking a weight-inclusive approach to diabetes management and prevention. That is not the typical encounter that people might have in an endocrinologist office. So what does that look like for your patients? What are you doing differently from your colleagues? Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm doing anything differently with regard to how I treat diabetes, except I'm using blood sugar and other data points to treat overall health. I just take weight out of the equation because people may lose weight 
with behavior changes and with medications. They also may gain weight. If someone has uncontrolled diabetes and their blood sugar is really high and we work together with behaviors and medication to help control the blood sugar, they may start retaining muscle and gaining muscle and holding on to calories because what happens is if the blood sugar is really high, your body starts burning muscle and fat to create mm-hmm. energy. Sure. So the weight may change in either direction. And I think that's why focusing on weight is not really that helpful. We should focus on the behaviors and we should focus on blood sugar and cholesterol and blood pressure, things like that. Are patients surprised when you don't focus on weight? Totally. I'm getting referrals from people that just know that that's my approach. But I have a lot of patients that come in not knowing that. And when I say, well, I'm not going to focus on your weight, I'm going to focus on these other variables and these behaviors and use the medication accordingly. And I think people are pleasantly surprised. Some of them just don't say anything. They're just surprised and maybe like speechless. A lot of people come in saying, I know I need to lose weight. I'm working on it just because that's what they're expecting me to say. They're you used know? to doctors starting there. The patients that are speechless when I say that, I wonder if they walk out like, shaking their head like, who is this guy? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. He's not going to tell me to lose weight, like in a <laughs> bad way. Or if they're like, wow, that was kind of interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I bet for a lot of them, it's pretty refreshing. If you're used to going to the doctor and having your weight be this problem to solve. I mean, speaking from personal experience, whenever I find a doctor who doesn't do that, it's a real ray of sunshine in my life. Of course, it does run so counter to people's expectations. It can also be a little unsettling. Because obviously, a lot of people want to lose weight. Statistics are out there like 70% of women and 50% of men. And they may be looking to the doctor to help them accomplish that objective. So it may be counter to their expectations and also Mm -hmm. desires. Yeah, that makes sense. Was this something you gradually started doing over the course of your years in practice? Talk a little bit about your evolution on this, because I'm assuming this wasn't how you learned it in medical school. No, totally. You know, my wife, Alexis Connison's at the anti-diet plan. We had very similar trainings. We actually trained in the same hospital right out of our doctoral programs. She was in this bariatric surgery world and then went into private practice and started hearing from her clients all the stigma and avoiding doctors and all this stuff. And thankfully, she came across this Hayes movement and started learning about it and slowly telling me about it. It took me a while just because, admit, I'm just so entrenched in my training and what I'm reading from the medical community. It was really hard to break free from that. She even joked years ago and be like, I think you're almost there, but you're not like 100% haze. Like, I'm not sure I can send people to you. Right. But then I read her book, like one of the first drafts, and I was like, boom, like I got it. I had that like epiphany. I read it in the, the research studies and I was like, okay, yeah. I can do this. That's awesome. So now we just need you to get all the other doctors to be on the same page with us. Yeah. Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but across the communities of medical professionals, Everyone is acknowledging that weight stigma is very problematic. There's a big conference going on this week, and stigma is a huge part of it. You know, people first language, all this kind of stuff. The problem is like, yeah, so we need to help these people with like their disease versus I would say, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on behaviors because people are and can be possibly healthy across the size spectrum. So using different languages is nice. And Yes, trying not to stigmatize people is obviously a good goal, but let's just take it out of the equation. Then you definitely won't stigmatize anyone. Right. You need to recognize that you can say you don't want to stigmatize people, but if you are still saying that their body size is wrong and needs to change, then you are still inherently perpetuating stigma. There's a tension there. 
I've seen that shift as well. 10 years ago when I was interviewing doctors, they never even heard of weight stigma and that's definitely shifted. But yeah, there's still a little more pushing we have to do. So you're taking this weight inclusive approach. So yes, for all my readers who ask if that's possible, it is possible. People are doing it. The other stuff that comes up for folks around diabetes that I'm sure you hear all the time is the food anxieties, the feelings that diabetes means you can't ever eat carbohydrates, or even if you're at risk for diabetes, that you shouldn't eat carbohydrates. So can you drill into that relationship a little bit for us between carbs and blood sugar? And how do you think about this? I think it's very problematic to tell people you can't eat a major food group. I have a couple of patients out of thousands who can just not eat carbs, but it's unlikely and it's not mm-hmm. sustainable. I think the yo-yo dieting, the weight cycling, all those things is more problematic in the long term. The way I approach it is saying what a lot of very good dietitians say, which is have the carbs, but pair with proteins and fats, and that'll help the absorption. And also from an intuitive eating standpoint, mm-hmm. check in with yourself. After you have those things, a couple hours later, how do you feel? How's your blood sugar? How do you feel when your sugar is high? And really key in. And if you're not feeling well or you're tired or you're more thirsty and your blood sugar is high, then that's something to kind of take notice of and -hmm. and really have that conversation with yourself. Um, So that's my approach. Certainly people that are on insulin for type 1 diabetes or even type 2 diabetes, just using medications to fit into your nutritional eating pattern and activity. We're fortunate enough to have medications that we can use so that you don't have to change your life in Mm -hmm. order to manage diabetes and you don't have to sacrifice quality of life to do so and to be healthy. That's a really interesting shift. There's often a mindset of you have to be doing everything you can to avoid or minimize medication use, even if that means really restricting your life in major ways, right? But somehow it's like a failure if you just can't eat, quote, perfectly enough and avoid the need for medication. So I like that you're clearly taking a lot of the shame out of it and prioritizing people's lifestyles along with their health. But it goes hand in hand, right? So if someone's really stressed because they're at a party and everyone else is having cupcakes or pizza and they're like, oh, I can't eat this because my blood sugar is going to go high or the doctor said I can't do that, that creates stress, Mm -hmm. which will probably also increase blood sugar. And then later on, most likely this restrictive thing is going to be like, go and have the cupcake or pizza and maybe more. So I would say if it's in front of you, try it, see if you're enjoying it and we can adjust the medication. And I don't want you to feel the stress around living your life and feeling that you can't have or do something. It's a very important mindset shift for us to make around this. I think one of the really tough things about diabetes with type 2 diabetes in particular is that people feel this sense of failure, that this sense of like, I did this, particularly folks in larger bodies. I did this because I couldn't lose the weight. And there's that whole cultural narrative of blaming people for this condition. So yeah, I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit, because I think that's a lot of what needs to get undone here. Totally. Yeah. So much of type 2 diabetes or a big proportion of it is genetic. And there's other variables that cause blood sugar to go up, whether it's stress, not getting enough sleep, certain medications raise blood sugar. So there's a lot of different variables. And it's clearly not just what someone's eating or how much they're moving or how little they're moving. Sometimes there's a lot of things in life and, and with regard to health that we can't control. And if it does happen, let's figure out how to work together to control it and make sure that 
the quality of life is good and that the health is as good as it possibly can be. Yeah, I think that's a really important shift to make for folks to take it out of this sense of like personal failure, which just speaks to, I don't know, this, this idea that we have to like earn the right to healthcare, but only good people deserve these things is such a problematic concept and really goes against what healthcare is supposed to do. Right. And there's a huge overlap between diabetes and depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think taking the shame out of it is mm-hmm. a good first step because if you acknowledge that a lot of this may have nothing to do with what you did or should have done, okay, we're in the present moment. Let's treat it the best we can. What happened in the past, whatever it is, it's your fault. It's not your fault. It's genetic. It's blame whoever. It doesn't really matter. Like, let's mm-hmm. just take care of it. As you're talking about behavior changes, which can be a really important tool for managing diabetes and health in general, there's a risk there of that becoming shame-based as well. Doctors prescribing very unrealistic goals for people in terms of the behavior changes they want made. And for someone who is struggling, there's these other reasons, right? Like if you're depressed, it's hard to exercise regularly, even if you know it would be helpful. And so there's just these different barriers in people's lives to achieving the kind of behaviors that doctors might be looking for. So I'm curious how you approach that with your patients to get over the shame. So much about exercise has been linked with negative feelings about doing it just to lose weight, like no pain, no gain. With regard to movement, just saying, what do you like to do? Do you like Mm -hmm. to dance? Do you think you could try a yoga class or a spin class? Or, hey, could you just walk for five minutes? Let's come up with something a little bit above and beyond what you're doing now, something that you're going to enjoy, and that's going to feel good. So that's one thing I try to talk about. And then being realistic and talking about what the access to food is. If someone's working two jobs, you know, they work all day and they don't have time for lunch, just trying to figure out their life is as an individual because making population-based recommendations when we all live very different lives is just not realistic. Saying, oh, you need to diet and exercise, that just means nothing. Right. And it can just make people feel very defeated. I remember when I was pretty newly postpartum, maybe six months after my second daughter was born, the doctor I was seeing at the time was pretty weight focused. She was like, well, when my kids were that little, I would walk for an hour a day with them strapped in the stroller. And I just remember this sense of failure because I knew I couldn't achieve that. I was like, well, my older child is school and I'm working and my baby's not sleeping through the night and I'm really too tired to walk. There was such a different way that we could have approached that conversation if she had started with, well, what do you like? What's your time like? As opposed to why aren't you doing this thing that worked for me, which was frustrating. Yeah. And I don't know if that's training, like if we should be better as far as motivational interviewing, or if it's just the structure of the system that we're so short on time that it's easy to be like, oh, like you should diet and exercise. We're just clicking away on our little Mm -hmm. box of the electronic medical record. But there's so many assumptions that are made about people's lives and not taking the time or having the time to dissect what's going on in someone's day-to-day life that's impacting their health or could be impacting their health. Absolutely. So the last thing I wanted to talk about is kids. I know you treat adults, but diabetes concerns come up so much for parents if they have a family history of diabetes or if they have a kid in a bigger body. It's often one of the first things the pediatrician starts talking to them about. It's just very tied to all this rhetoric about the, quote, childhood obesity epidemic. What's your advice for parents? How should they be thinking about this issue if it's a concern in their family? I think that focusing on 
making sure the child is getting good sources of nutrition, whatever that may mean, fruits and vegetables, things like that. Coming from a standpoint of not a restrictive eating pattern, but trying to add in certain foods that we know are healthy, not having things that are off limits or limiting things, because I think in the long run, that can be detrimental. Mm -hmm. And just trying to find ways the same way with adults, ways to move, sleep, stress management, all those kinds of things. Focusing on weight specifically with kids is probably very, very problematic. And I've had people message me on, on Instagram who have diabetes and they tell me stories of when they went to the pediatrician and that they held up like a regular soda and a diet soda and said, regular soda, you're never going to drink this again and threw it in the trash, you know, like seven years old and then goes on to like a 20 year eating disorder. So I think it's very, very important to not focus on body weight with kids. Just getting kids to find behaviors that we know will serve them long-term is important. Body shaming them is probably the worst thing that you could do for a kid. I mean, it's just striking me that the advice you're giving is like, I would hope that any parents would be encouraging exposure to vegetables and how do we find movement you love. The problem really comes when we only talk about these things because we're worried about your body size or because we're worried about your disease risk. That's underserving all kids. And it's likely to make the child who is getting that message feel really stigmatized and shamed as opposed to this just being a part of life for them. Whatever their body size is, everyone could benefit from these healthy behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that should be the same approach with kids. All right. So we wrap up the episode by giving some recommendations of things we are loving. This can be a book, a product you're loving, an experience you've had recently. Any recommendation you've got for us? I'll shamelessly just say I love the anti-diet plan book, Diet Free Revolution. I can't say it without (laughs) blushing because I just feel ridiculous, but whatever. That's a great recommendation. And of course, you're always allowed to promote your wife's book. And we'll link to it in the transcript. And my recommendation for parents listening is a podcast my four-year-old is obsessed with called Julie's Library, which is Julie Andrews reading kids' books. It's quite magical if you grew up as a Mary Poppins fan as I did. They apparently made like 20 episodes of this podcast in 2020, but I completely missed it then. But we've just found out about it. My four-year-old is in love with it. And she brings on really wonderful children's authors like Jacqueline Woodson and all these really great people to read their books and chat with Julie. It's got a very Mr. Rogers vibe. It's very low-key, very soothing. And I'm finding it's helping us a lot when she gets home from school, because I don't know about you, but my kids come home from school in horrible moods and everybody's grouchy and screaming. It's my least favorite part of the day, to be honest. That transition out of school work mode into family mode is very fraught. And putting on this podcast and she eats her snack and listens. She's like, I need Julie, don't I? I'm like, yeah, you do. (laughs) It just kind of chills her out and I want to recommend it. Sorry, what's it called? Julie's Library is the podcast. Yeah, and it's anywhere you get your podcasts. There's 21 episodes. I hope they make more. When you look at the reviews, there's all these parents being like, please, Julie, make more episodes. (laughs) It's kind of like preschooler hypnosis. It's really great. Awesome. Perfect. We all need it. Well, Dr. Jodell, tell listeners where they can find more of your work. I will link to your Instagram because people need to see you dancing on Fridays. So tell us about that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So everything underscore endocrine, uh, Instagram, Twitter, I don't use that much, but I am on there at DodellMD and my practice website, Central Park Endocrinology. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I enjoyed 
Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. And for the month of January, you can take 20% off your subscription by going to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com slash new year, no diet. The Burnt Toast Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore Soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Cell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell, and Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism.